Guys, welcome. Um, let me uh, let me uh, break in there and um, get our get our time together going. Uh, it's great to see people, and I'm loving how compact we are in terms of seating today. That does mean that if if we have loads of latecomers, there'll be plenty of space, which is which is always good. Um, you're very welcome. My name is Sam. I'm one of the members of the leadership team here at Gospel in the City, and. Um, you can see, hopefully, on your tables a handout uh, for today. We're in a series that we're calling Freedom. Um, we're looking at the book of Exodus, which outlines for us the kind of the picture of salvation that the people of Israel went through in the Old Testament when they were rescued from slavery in Egypt and they were brought to God. And freedom for them looked like serving God. And God outlines um, what that freedom looks like in detail uh, through the Ten Commandments. And we've been thinking about how the Ten Commandments are are not um, for people who are sort of trying to please God by their works, but for people who are saved, who are trying to live out uh, the freedom that God has brought us into. So last week we did uh, the first commandment, seeing that really our, our big aim, our big priority for life should be to honor God and to live for him. And uh, we're going to see now in more detail what kind of worshiping God looks like. And so we're coming to the second uh, commandment today. Um, so... I will read the passage uh, for us in just a moment. It's Exodus chapter 20. So hopefully you have on your tables a, um, a copy of the passage. That we're a little bit short, so I've got one spare if anybody can't see one. Uh, so Exodus chapter 20. Um, do feel free to kind of help yourself to drinks or tea and coffee as we, as we go on. We're, we're, we'll plan to be done by 1.35 uh, today, so don't, uh, please don't worry about uh, time. But if you do need to slip off early, that is... Absolutely fine, of course. Well, let me, let me pray. Uh, let me lead us in a prayer, and then we'll read uh, the passage together, and I'll invite uh, our speaker uh, up. Our Father God, we thank you for uh, providing for us in every way. Thank you for the physical uh, needs uh, that you provided for, I uh, think particularly of the food that you've uh, set before us and the drink that you've set before us uh, today. Uh, thank you, too, for... Uh, our jobs and the way they help us to provide uh, for our material needs. And our Father, we thank you too that you provide for our spiritual needs. Thank you that you speak to us. And as your saved people, uh, those who have come to know Jesus as our Savior and as our King, we thank you that you've shown us the way uh, to live in freedom, uh, worshiping you. Uh, we pray that you teach us today more of what it looks like uh, to worship you and, and help us as we figure out what this might mean uh, for us as we seek to live for you in freedom in our workplaces. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Exodus uh, chapter 20, and we'll start from verse 1 uh, down to verse 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Amen. Well, let me invite David um, up to, uh, to speak to us today from that passage. David is uh, pastor of Shaftesbury Square, Reformed Presbyterian Church, just around the corner. He's been a great uh, friend to Gospel in the City over a few years now, so we're really grateful, David, for you uh, making the time uh, to come and speak to us today. Um, if I can give you that. Okay. <laughs> right, Sam, thank you very much. Good to be back again with you. Uh, as Sam said, I'm just up on the Dublin Road, uh, the Foreign Presbyterian Church there. Uh, and it's, I think, great for us to be able to support work like this, Witness in the City Centre, there is endless need. Uh, This is a mission field, you all know that uh, perfectly well, and we need each other. Uh, There's no one church has all the resources or is equipped to do all the work in the city centre, and so we're glad to be able to support and pray for uh, and be part of the work here as well. So it's a privilege uh, to come and speak once again at Gospel in the City. Uh, It's always good as a speaker to be encouraged before you stand up. Uh, And and Sam very generously shared with me just a few minutes ago uh, that he thinks this is the hardest of the commandments uh, to deal with. And I thought he was a friend. But I know what he means. You open the commandment and here uh, it's a commandment about carved images and so on. You think, how does that earth uh, in your workplace Uh, Does it mean you're not to have a little shrine beside your workstation? or What does it mean? Uh, And of course, uh, I'm a Reformed Presbyterian pastor. Uh, And so you may be afraid, if you know anything about this, I'm going to uh, make a ringing appeal here uh, to sing psalms exclusively unaccompanied. And you'll all go away and think, why did I spend half an hour listening to, to that? But no, we're not. We're not. But there are some huge issues Uh, in this commandment. You've looked at the first uh, commandment last week, uh, dealing with single-minded commitment uh, to the Lord, the God of the covenant. And so we come to the second commandment that does put the focus very much on worship. We're not to bring carved images into our places of worship. Uh, And we could think of some very obvious applications of that uh, in the design of our places of worship and how we approach God and so forth. But I want to take a really a bigger look uh, at the commandment. You'll be aware, and this will go right back to the beginning of your series, uh, that really the commandments are giving guidelines for saved people. The commandments uh, don't begin, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, They begin, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So they begin with redemption. They begin with leading out from bondage. Here are a people who have been set free. But what does that mean? We're in a culture where people think freedom means doing anything you like. Do your own thing. And nobody has a right to tell anybody else they're wrong. Is that freedom? Well, we turn to God's word and we see that isn't freedom. In fact, that's a road to disaster. Here are people who are set free. And what does the Lord do? He gives them his guidelines. He gives them his law. This is what living in the freedom of deliverance of salvation looks like. Here are the fundamentals. And that's true of the second commandment. 
So what does it mean? How does this relate to your life in your workplace, your home, and church? And I want to ask three questions. You have them in the handout. In our bulletins in church, we don't put the sermon headings on. I like to sort of surprise people. So this is where I can say, actually, these are not the headings I'm going to use at all. Out they are. But three questions that will, I hope, get us to the heart uh, of what the commandment is about. And the first question, really the fundamental question, is what kind of God? What kind of God is speaking here? In a way, that may look as if we're beginning at the end. But I believe we're beginning at the real heart of the matter. What kind of God is giving this commandment to his delivered, saved, redeemed people? And that is crucial. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And that rationale for the command is crucial. This really gets us down to what is going on here. This is the kind of God who's addressing his people, who's addressing us. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And perhaps our first reaction to that is that's not a very nice idea of God, jealous. Somebody says to you that they're jealous. I tend to think, well, they're suspicious. They are ready to fly off the handle. They're really not in a good place. Jealousy, we perhaps don't tend to think of as a good thing. But actually, in Scripture, when it's applied to God, it's a vital thing. It's not just something that is good. This is the kind of God he is. And you could translate the word as zealous as well as jealous. Either would be perfectly okay. And maybe that starts to help us to see this isn't a negative thing to say about God. It's actually a wonderful thing to say about God, that this is the kind of God who's speaking to us. This is the kind of God that we aim to serve, a zealous or a jealous God. It's not so much the language of emotion. It's more what God does, how God acts. I am the Lord, your God. Of course, that is the covenant name. That's the special name that God uses of himself. It was so holy, of course, you may know the Jews wouldn't pronounce it, and eventually they forgot how to pronounce it. But this is the special covenant name of God. I am the Lord. The Lord who gives himself to his people and sets them free to live as his people. The basic covenant promise that runs all the way through the Bible, I will be your God and you will be my people. Here is a God who doesn't just give his people things. He gives himself. He's not like a parent who hasn't time for the kids and gives them lots of things. He gives himself. And that's what the covenant is all about. I am the Lord. There's that special covenant name. A name that speaks to us of love, of grace, 
of mercy, uh, of power to deliver a people who were in bondage. That's the kind of God that the Lord is. That's the God who's speaking here. That's our God. The Lord, your God. And he's a jealous or a zealous God. And if we're inclined to think that that's a negative thing, think of the analogy of a marriage. That's used in Scripture as an illustration of the relationship between God and his people, a marriage. Two people in covenant in a marriage. Isn't it right that they should be jealous of the love that the other has for each of them? If one of the partners is straying and proves unfaithful, if the other partner isn't jealous, there's something wrong, isn't there? You start to think, well, do they really love this person? Does it matter to them if they receive love back? Here's a partner going off with somebody else, and the other isn't jealous, he isn't bothered by it. There's something wrong with that. Jealousy is a sign of love. The Lord our God is a jealous God because he loves us, and he seeks the love of his people in return. If God were not jealous, we'd have to say he doesn't really love us. We don't really matter to him all that much, but he is jealous. Not, of course, with the uncontrolled sorts of outbursts and emotions we maybe associate with jealousy. No, God, the jealous God, is never uncontrolled, never loses his temper, but he always responds to and deals with us in love, unbreakable covenant love. There's even a special word in the Bible for God's covenant love. There's loving kindness you find in some of the translations. A love that has no beginning and no end. A love that he set on sinners like us even before he made the world. Not an amazing thought. Before God said, let there be light, he loved his people in Christ and gave us to Christ to save. Our little minds can hardly take that in, that kind of love. But that's the love of the Lord our God. That's why he's a jealous God. He will not share us with anybody else. It is exclusive. And he's jealous because he loves us. If he didn't show himself to be a jealous God, We'd have to say he's indifferent. He doesn't really care, but he cares passionately. And two consequences of God being jealous are spelled out uh, here in the commandment. First of all, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. And our first reaction might be, well, that's not fair. Punishing children for their father's sins, that's not right. But that isn't what the commandment says. The heat of God's zeal is turned on the unfaithful. God's jealousy. Sin has serious results. That's what the commandment is reminding us. Sin isn't a trivial thing. The Lord won't just shrug his shoulders and say, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters tremendously. 
Sin has consequences. And it's not that God is punishing innocent children for the sins of their fathers. If you read the whole commandment, you see it's those who hate me. There is a kind of spiritual heredity. You see sometimes in families, one generation repeating the sins of the previous generation. And that's what's in view here. It's the younger generation following the idolatry, the unfaithfulness of the older generation. And that's why the heat of God's jealousy is turned on those who hate me. Strong language. But idolatry and unfaithfulness to the Lord are hatred. And we need to see it that way. And so the zeal of the Lord, the heat of God's jealousy is turned against those who prove to be unfaithful. But not only visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, showing steadfast love to thousands, probably thousands of generations. I think that is what the commandment is saying. Steadfast love, covenant love to thousands of generations. It's the same heat it's the same heat of God's zeal that is punishing the unfaithful and is also pouring out love and grace and mercy on thousands of generations. That's a wonderful encouragement. Here is unbreakable covenant love. Nothing can destroy it. It was set upon us in eternity it will take us into glory and it will never be broken. That's full of encouragement to Christians. Are there the days when maybe you're sitting at work and you're having a rough day and things aren't going well and you're tempted to think, does God really love me? If he did, would he let me have a day like this? Or maybe there's some really hard situations you're dealing with, maybe at home or in some other setting. Things are really hard. And you're asking yourself, well, if God really loved me, would he put me through this? And we need to come back again and again to the Lord our God, covenant God, who shows steadfast, unbreakable, unchanging love to thousands of generations of his people, people who love him. People who've experienced his grace and his salvation, because that's why we love him. We wouldn't love him if we hadn't experienced God's grace and mercy. And he just pours out love upon us, thousands of generations. And just think of the comparison. Punishing a couple of generations. Showing covenant love to thousands of generations. The abundance of God's love and yes, he is jealous. And yes, he does punish unfaithfulness. But look at the abundance of the love that takes sinners like us and holds on to us and won't let us go. Thousands of generations. That's the God we're called to worship. We are getting to worship, but it'll take us a minute. What kind of God? Because that's fundamental. God of covenant love. 
a God who won't let us go and won't share us with anybody else. We're his. So then the second question, what kind of service? What kind of service is this God requiring of us? And in general, we have to say in the light of this commandment, God spells out the kind of service he expects from us. This God of the covenant, this God of unbreakable love, he tells us how he is to be served. And that's really what the commandments, of course, are about. It's God telling us how he is to be served. He doesn't leave us to think, okay, I've been set free. I'm a child of God. Now what do I do? And to try and puzzle out how exactly we are to serve God. And to figure, well, what do I think God would like? What maybe do I like and perhaps God would like it as well? So everything is thrown back really on us. That, that we're to decide, we're to figure out what it means to serve this God. But he doesn't leave us to figure it out ourselves. That's why he talks here about my commandments. And that's what they're looking at, commandment by commandment. This is what the God of love, covenant God, requires. And he spells it out. The, the law is God's gift of love. Uh, and we need to understand that as Christians. God's law is not something to crush us and take the pleasure out of life and just make things difficult. God's law is given because he loves us. And he wants us to know how to serve him. And so here, the commandments that God gives us set us free from trying to work out what would God like uh, and what would serve God and what would honour and please him. The commandments show us all the basics that we need. If we love him, then we'll delight to keep the commandments. Isn't that what Jesus says is a test of our love? If you love me, what will you do? He doesn't say you'll carry a big Bible under your arm, you'll go to lots of meetings, you'll wear a Christian expression, probably a miserable one in your face. You'll keep my commandments if you love me. And this is how we love God. We serve him in the ways that he spells out all the direction we need. And it's rooted in love. The law is the gift of God's love. And keeping the law is our response of love. And so we're to serve God in the ways that he tells us for his glory and his honor. Joyful submission to whatever God has revealed in his word. Not resenting it, not feeling it's a burden, but really thinking, Lord, thank you for telling me how you want to be served. And we take that then into our workplaces, into the offices or wherever it may be. Take it into our families, take it into our churches. And this is how this covenant God wants to be served. Uh, and work's included, of course, in that. Uh, it's sad sometimes when Christians seem to think, well, work is what I do to earn money to do Christian service. It fills in the gaps between doing spiritual things. Your work, first and foremost, is service to be done for the Lord. It is spiritual. Oh, whatever kind of work it may be, and not just a handy way to get close 
to people to witness to them. Because if you're trying to witness to people and you're doing a lousy job, forget about trying to talk to them about being a Christian. They're not listening. You wouldn't blame them. So you're serving this God in your workplace as you're to be serving him in every area of life. And everything the Lord Jesus Christ is of the first place. That's what Paul tells us is God's great purpose there in Colossians 1. That in everything, Christ will have the first place. The preeminence in some of the older translations. So what kind of service it is what God tells us. It frees us from trying to figure it out. And being carried along by our culture, even our Christian culture at times, that works on what makes me feel good. What do I think God would like? And I can take you in all kinds of directions that aren't biblical. So what kind of God, what kind of service, and finally, finally, we get to what kind of worship? Because, yes, the commandment is directed particularly at worship. That's the the main focus uh, of what God spells out here for his people. The God of the covenant is a God who is deeply concerned about how he is worshipped. It is not a trivial matter. God will not accept anything we happen to give him or anything we think would be a good idea. God tells us how he's to be worshipped. And we believe his word covers how we worship just as much as how we run our churches, how we evangelize, how we do anything else in the Christian life. Worship is included. And we are to worship God only in the ways that he specifies. Not according to our wisdom, not what we think are good ideas, but how the Lord tells us. And that means for one thing, we don't add to the pattern that God provides for us. We believe he spelled out in scripture the basics of how to worship him. And we're not to add to it. And we're told here, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. It would cover idols, false gods, but I don't think that's the particular idea here. It's worshiping God through carved images, through ways that he hasn't commanded. You see, when the golden calf was made, remember at the foot of Mount Sinai, they weren't saying, oh, this is another God. They're saying, this is the Lord, and this is how we're to worship him. Ways that he has not commanded. And it matters to God that we don't add to what the Lord has given us. No visible representations. And of course, a visible representation can be in your head. You know, it doesn't have to be wood or stone or whatever else. It can be in your head. Any view of God that is different from how he's revealed himself in the Bible. We can have idols in our heads, even if we're going through the motions of worship. God is spirit and he's not to be worshipped by any kind of visible representations or any way that he doesn't specify. And we limit ourselves happily to what God requires. How could it be a burden to worship this God who loves us, who will not share us with anybody? How could it be a burden to worship him in the ways he is required? It should be a delight to us. It should be something we love to do. He loved us 
We love him and we love to worship him in the ways he specifies. We've also got to be very careful that we're to honour the patterns of worship that the Lord gives us. That we're to delight in them. You see, you could go through all the motions of worship and your heart could be miles away. Remember Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, this people honour me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. And it's not simply that we're correct in meeting the, the requirements of God's word, that we do what God requires, but we're to do it with hearts of love, delighting in what the Lord has provided and the ways in which he guides us to worship him. We're happily submissive to God's law. And maybe sometimes if we find ourselves feeling it's a bit tight and a bit, uh, a bit heavy on us, we've got to say, hang on, there's something in my heart that needs to be looked at. If God's law becomes a burden and we find it restrictive, we've got to think, well, not what's wrong with God's law, what's wrong with me? What needs to be sorted out in my spiritual life so that I delight in God's law once again? What kind of God, the God of covenant love, pours out love on us and won't share us with anybody else? And that's a joy to our hearts, isn't it? He won't share us. They keep bringing us back, bringing us back. What kind of service? It's what he requires, not what we fancy, not what we think is a good idea. He tells us how to serve him. And that's a wonderful <coughs> liberation and what kind of worship will the worship that God spells out for us in his word that we don't add to it and we honour it we delight to do these things and do them for God's glory that our hearts are in it he gives himself to us we're to give ourselves wholeheartedly to him service of every kind and particularly in worship God of covenant love, a jealous God. Isn't it wonderful that he's a jealous God and he won't share us with anybody? Let's pray. Father, we come to the one who has poured out love upon us and has set us free from the bondage of our sin. Lord, enable us to live as those who are free. Fill our hearts with love for you. May we delight in you. And Lord, we praise you that you will not share us with anyone. But Lord, we pray that we might show our love in our service, in our worship. May these be joys to our hearts because of all that you are to us and all that you have done for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>